there, film fans. I'm Jeff. I'm Dave. And I'm John. And welcome back to The Love of Cinema, a pod in which we'll challenge one another to discuss movies both new and old with a strictly positive critical eye. That's right. And to avoid any lazy negativity, we are making this a drinking game. Drinking game! Any negative criticism about a film is, of course, allowed. But we will think less of you. So therefore, sometimes we, it can't be helped. Sometimes it can't be helped. Yes. So this is a positive film criticism podcast. If there's any negative criticism, you are going to hear this friendly sound, Ooh. which means that we are drinking, and therefore you should also be drinking. Yeah. All right, and we've got a slight rule change this week. Ah. Uh, we've. We've introduced the gush alarm or the gush alert. If uh, someone starts gratuitously gushing over a film, you will hear this playoff. And if they don't stop talking within 10 seconds, they have to drink. Yeah, this is going to be that So pour yourselves a glass. Sorry, go ahead, Dave. (laughs) Pour yourselves a glass. Join us. Give it up for the films we love. And a film at the end that might need some love. Might Ooh. need some love. We might be it drinking. Might. That some is, tough it's love. basically some tough the, love. I don't know. So we have the gush alarm and the film at the end, which both might be. What's that card in that drinking game, King's Cup, where it's a waterfall and everybody just has to chug? Oh god! I think it's. Uh, <laughs> I think it's an ace. Yeah, yeah. That's what today is going to be, most likely. Thanks oh, for listening, boy. as always, mom and dad. John, why don't you give us some shout outs? <laughs> All right. As always, we want to thank our beer sponsor, who does actually exist. He really. Really does make beer, and we did really drink them at one point. These beers are delicious. I even spilled some on the rug. (laughs) Oh my god, I missed (laughs) them. His name is Carlos Barozo. Give him a follow. The handle is C Barozo Bar 2019. That's C B A R R O Z O B A R two zero one nine. And as always, the music you hear on this episode and every episode is provided by the artist Dasein. That's Dasein D A S E I N. You can find all the music available for free downloads at soundcloud.com forward slash dasign dash artist. And I want to give a special shout out this week to my good buddy, radio DJ personality out of Charlotte, North Carolina, Jack Daniel. You can find him on K104.7 in the the weekday show from 3 to 7, I believe. Uh, He was very kind to us this week, gave us a personal review, wrote it down, put it on his radio's uh, radio website page, personal page shared it on the socials gave us a nice uh shout out on his actual show on thursday which was really cool and we are very excited to announce that he is going to join us as a guest host at the end of this month we are not quite sure which week yet it'll be either the third or fourth third or fourth week but we are really looking forward to it he is hilarious he is awesome i have known him for a long time he is a true professional very funny (laughs) very cool he's a big listener of the show can't wait to have him on thank you jack d we we won't hurt you we won't hurt you oh we're gonna fuck you up dude yeah (laughs) you're gonna get fucked up on this show jack Jack, you will not be in charge of the buzzer that is for sure (laughs) Uh, hang on hang on and just for everybody listening we um shout you out if you shout us out so, uh, yeah. proof is in the pudding there. We would like to thank all of our listeners in the Charlotte metro area who uh, tune into Jack's mm-hmm. radio show. Um, yeah, Woo! so those of you reading the episode notes, or at least the title of the episode before you pushed play, very intelligent of you, way to use social media, way to use all the apps. <laughs> so you know what we're going to be talking about. Um, we have chosen three films from the film year 1996. I actually really like this year because, again, if you've looked at 
the title of the episode. It is basically films that not only do we all know the name of at least, but we're talking about huge stars that are still relevant stars today. So it's funny to see, you know, 24 years ago, what, what was going on with these particular stars. Cause this was a fantastic film year, 1996. Mm. We'll talk about it in a second. Mm. First, let's go around the horn and do a little, what you've been watching. Uh, Dave, we like starting with you first here. What have you been watching? I uh, I gave the Fantastic Four reboot a bit of a rewatch this week. Oh, that's right. As it's otherwise known, the was it really that bad home game? Mm-hmm. And <laughs> yes, it fucking was. <laughs> oh no! Oh no! Um, is that bad guy? Can they not get that one right? They it just starts off so right, good dude. and then just loses its way. And I know this was another one that was famous for uh, studio interference as well. Um, I think also the director might have been a little crazy. There was a lot of conflicting media that came out there a while. But yeah, I gave it a watch. It does some good things. It does some bad things. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, it's it's on Disney+. Plus. Have a look. Awesome. Maybe. Awesome. Nice. Yeah. I, uh, I was a terrible film fan this week. I have some family visiting me this week, and I, uh, I did not watch any extra movies. It's still pushing ahead with the Star Trek. Crushing Dr. Sleep. I'm reading that right now. That's been a fun read, but I was a bad film fan. Bad film fan. Somebody mm. slapped me. Bad film fan. <laughs> I watched the film oh, of that a couple of weeks ago. Um, <laughs> any tenant news? Should we, should we get our tenant uh, quota for the episode Christ. out the way? Tune in every week for your tenant updates, folks. Yeah. I also I also had a busy week. So I did not watch a film, but I did watch World's Most Extraordinary Homes on Netflix, which is fantastic. Best part of the show, all of these homes are sustainable. They're environmental. It is really fantastic. And man, they use some big words to describe these homes. Good for them. Jeff. British. The Brits. Jeff. What? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, no fine, fucking, don't fine. you start talking about that. Jeff and I played fine. some fucking golf this week. Shout out to the golfers out there. Play some yeah, golf. I, I, am, I am a sports fan, so I have been watching the PGA Championship, which, as we're recording, Woo! is in the final round. There are about four holes left. Paul Casey and uh, Morikawa, local hometown hero, uh, are in the lead at 11 under. Um, I also watched two episodes of Dance Ooh, Moms and... Oh. Shut up, shut up. Don't you fucking talk about your fucking reality TV show. Are you done talking about reality TV? Did you yeah, watch anything yeah, of yeah, Substance? Yeah. Uh, Real fast, I wanted to no. shout out, I did watch the pilot of Devs because you, what we talked uh, yeah. about, you recommended it, dude. Mm-hmm. I totally dug it. Yeah. Um, I can't wait to continue with yeah, that it show. Just, that... It just goes from strength to strength. On right up my alley, in. dude. Thank awesome. you for um, saying that last week. A little quick uh, bit of news from this week. They... Uh, dissolve the uh, Paramount Consent Decree. Yes, you posted about that. Talk about it a little yeah, bit. Yeah, it's a little... Uh, it allowed Basically, it allowed studios to own their own cinemas a la the old studios of the Golden Age. Makes um, total sense. Uh, I'm going to make a prediction right now. I will yep. say all Disney has to do is keep limiting their cinema releases for their tent poles, and they will send these guys bankrupt and swoop in and buy them, and we'll, we'll all be going to Disney cinemas. Dang. Yeah, I've been saying for years, I think it's going to go... I think it's going to kind of be a new version of what it was. I think the big streaming places, like you're already seeing in New York City and LA, Netflix has bought some small theaters. They're yeah. doing their things. You're going to see Disney. You're going to see the the big streaming services start to just buy up houses because yeah. they have they're a one stop shop. There's no middleman anymore. They're going to make it. They're going to produce it. They're going to exhibit it. And as, I mean, as long as like Amazon and Netflix to some extent keeps their interest in indie films, I welcome our new overlords. I can't wait to go to the Amazon Cineplex. Nice. No, not really. I as long I as there's doesn't lead to corruption, because that caused a bunch yeah, of problems in like, the really end of old Hollywood. It it's really like, fucking ruined everything. But anyway, yeah. let's fucking do long, it. Guys. As long as let's some of that it. money goes to like pay for wait, the wait, homeless wait. shelters. One more quick. One more quick thing. Um, you know the uh, the star James Hong. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, he, yeah, he, uh, Daniel Day Kim started to go fund me to get a Hollywood star for this guy because he has over like almost 500 acting credits to his name and doesn't I, have a star. I and saw that article, I, w- yeah. I, I actually, I actually went there to donate it and it's closed. <gasps> okay. They got, they got the money. They, they've got the money. They made good, their, their nice, 55,000. So give that hopefully. man a start. Yeah. If, I, if, yeah. if, plan, if planes have opened again, I may fly over for this because that guy is in so many films I love. And this is Aww. a very, very well earned Hollywood star. I saw I saw that article because it basically said, "Is he in the most movies of anybody alive?" Because I think it, I think on IMDb it's somewhere around five hundred. I'm trying to think of what the like because uh, everybody would know him if they saw him. And I'm yeah. trying to I'm trying to think of like the best example for him. But... Um, big Big Trouble in Little China, Kung Fu Panda, Avatar: The Last Airbender. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's a voice character. He wasn't in the, uh, voice, the really, really bad yeah. movie. Oh, okay. <laughs> We've already been there. Hashtags like three weeks ago. Anyway, James Hong, give him a Google shout out. That's awesome. Mm. Um, all right, let's do it. 1996 film year. You ready to get to it? Ready to get to it. Hell yeah, all right, dude. I'm guys. Ready to get there. Have you done your research? Do you know what the highest grossing movie of 1996 was? No. By far. Tell me. By Tell me. far. Actually, I remember this because my brother's birthday is July 2nd. Why would I steal this from you? My brother's birthday is July 2nd, and the highest grossing movie actually starts on July 2nd, so that's when it came out. John? And it was? I have no idea. What is, Independence what is Day. Oh. I thought that was 97. I, of course, I was going to guess that, damn it. Oh, yeah. Independence Day came out on July 2nd, 1996. I believe my brother, brought, they bought a block of tickets to the movie, and so many people snuck into the cinema somehow that like they had some people had to sit on the floor and stuff. It was a huge opening. $817 million worldwide, which today would probably be double. Number two... Twister, holy shit! You know what's funny? Yeah. Twister wow. out earned Mission Impossible. How funny is that? Fucking Twister, man. I, was gonna Bill, ask, I thought it might have been Bill Mission Impossible Biden. for number two. I think oh a lot of people God. didn't have faith in Mission Impossible when they first made it. They do now. Well, yeah. Well, if they listen to our podcast, they do. Um, you also have The Rock <laughs> with Sean Connery and Nicolas Cage. You also have The Hunchback of Notre Dame, 101 Dalmatians, Ransom, The Nutty Professor, Jerry Maguire, Eraser, Evita, and then. The English Patient, which cleaned house at the Oscars. You have Mars Attacks, which is super fun. And for um, <laughs> some more deep cut film fans, you've got Scream, the first Scream movie. Yes. And and if you've ever thrown up in a movie theater, it's probably because you've seen Train Spotting. Mm. <laughs> Holy shit! You also I, got I'm Twelve not sure. Monkeys. I'm not, I'm not sure if I buzz that or not. No, no, no. And Buzz one, that dead baby. One movie that Buzz we that almost... Baby. We actually had a full debate because everybody who listens to our podcast knows that the final movie we talk about, which this year we'll talk about, this week we'll talk about in a second, is always a quote-unquote bad movie that we need to try to prop up since we're a positive film podcast who drinks. So we're trying to do our best to prop up. A, give, give, give one of these quote-unquote bad movies another look. We really almost did Biodome starring Pauly Shore. Oh, yeah. We yeah. really, really thought we were going to. Yeah! Um, I think we could couldn't find it anywhere. Right. So, I wanted Black Sheep, but Black Sheep wasn't actually quote unquote that bad of a movie. You've got Dead Men Walking. Anyway, Bottle Rocket was the you know the breakout for Wes Anderson and the Wilson brothers. So so many good movies. Anything else you guys want to say about it? Or should we just get right to it? Let's get right to it. All right, Let's people. It, the first film we are gonna talk about, of course, <laughs> is what I consider to be the Cohen Brothers signature film, Fargo. Fargo, 1996. You have, I have, I literally have the wrong Fargo up here on my notes here. You have William H. Macy. <laughs> you have Francis McDormand. You have um, Steve Buscemi. Steve Buscemi. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. Directed by the Coen Brothers. Francis McDormand won an Oscar for Best 
leading actress in a film. It was actually really fun. So a lot of people know about Fargo. A lot of people have seen it. I don't know if a lot of people have seen it recently. Um, we had somebody in the house here. We had Chloe's mom who hadn't seen it in a long time and completely forgot about the plot of the movie. But lo- she's like, it was one of those experiences where she loves the movie. She loves the characters. She loves the accents. And she just forgot the plot, which is really, really fun for us to kind of mm-hmm. go back through again. Um, so long story short, William H. Macy hires hitmen to kidnap his own wife. Because he's broke as fuck. They never actually really say why he's broke yeah, as fuck. Yeah, don't, don't wait for that reveal. It never comes. Never comes. So <laughs> he just, he needs money. And his father-in-law is super wealthy. So he believes that if his wife gets kidnapped, his father-in-law will pay the ransom. He'll split the ransom with the um, kidnappers, who includes Steve Buscemi. And then all will be well in the world. Now, obviously, that goes horribly wrong. The best part of the movie is this is all set in Minnesota, the northern part of Minnesota, just near uh, North Dakota, which is where Fargo is. So this first meeting and this deal happens in Fargo, North Dakota. So the accents are ridiculous. The snow, the wall of snow, the personalities, the characters are awesome. But... The movie actually does a little bit of, I guess it's a bait and switch, because you think the movie is about the kidnapping going wrong. But that's really just part of it, because as soon as the kidnapping happens, you have one of the best literary literary um, redirections, and that Frances McDormand now becomes the lead of the movie, who is a pregnant detective, who is, who is tasked with um, trying to solve the crime of yeah. these kidnappers who just decided to kill a state trooper who pulled them over and then they decided to kill other people who witnessed this so the the kidnappers you, you crime don't even, you don't even see her till half an hour in the film either right like, and then she becomes the lead of the movie yeah. from there on in yeah. and she's brilliant and breathtaking and yes. that's enough of an introduction since i'm not looking and at it's my another tight one. ones up it's another it's another tight one it's like an hour 35 it's yeah. pretty tight. It's pretty thing. tight, and a lot happens for sure. Um, who who wants to who wants to dive in here? So this is for the gush alarm. Obviously, we have the gush alarm for this episode because this movie's <laughs> fucking awesome. This movie's a fantastic <laughs> movie. I mean, not hard to be a positive film criticism podcast when you're talking about Fargo. Uh, look at John. John. John's trying to dive in here. Here we go. Well, let's give let's give just a little context because I think um, you know why well, you didn't like my context that I gave. You didn't like my no, context. That was wonderful. No, I'm in a, a full you're, sweat. You're, I'm in an attic right now, so if I'm stumbling, I'm I'm dripping <laughs> full sweat. Full sweat, bro. I wish everyone get a, give a shout out to our YouTube videos so you could look at this. Oh my God, <laughs> orange funny. shirt. It's just like the sun just staring at me. All right, All right not a visual podcast, not a visual so, medium. So Joel Cohen, Joel Cohen, let's, uh, the Cohen brothers. You know, we kind of grew up in. If you grew up in the '90s, you grew up like with them becoming who who they are. Dave, you probably got to witness like them doing this so let's just give them a little Mm -hmm. context that this is 96 uh barton fink was pretty damn successful that was 91 miller's crossing was very successful in 1990 raising arizona uh, 87 but fargo is the first one that seemed to solidify them in the coen brothers thing that gets people to come back again and again and again and i feel like this movie is when you go back and you watch their entire canon I feel like this movie is uh, still stands alone as possibly the best example of their essence, which is that strange, wry comedy and intense violence. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I, I mean, because yeah. the year after this, they made my favorite Coen Brothers movie, Big Lebowski. And I, I, I absolutely uh-huh. love that movie. It's a total, it's not a totally different tone, but it's a different tone. But for like essential Coen Brothers, 
seeing where they came from with like Blood Simple, their roots in horror thrillers and lots of very intense, realistic violence. Um, I still think Fargo is probably their best example of this is what we do that maybe no one else does as well. And maybe no one else has done before or after. They they do really mind, do stand alone with that do, kind of thing. Do you guys do, do, you, do, do you mind if I way? well I have one I, I kind of what I would say to that is now maybe I'm overstepping. So I'm gonna go ahead and do what I always do on this podcast and print my first draft for the whole world to hear. I feel <laughs> like so this is we talk a lot about filmmaking because you know Dave and John make a lot of movies and I do whatever they tell me to do on in front of the camera sometimes or not. Who knows? Um and I'm never gonna work again after this podcast. So much um, blackmail footage. That's right. That is true. Anyway, um, this is all about the narration and the characters for sure, but but not even just the characters, just the way that the story involve, evolves. Every story, there are three main characters of this movie. So even though Francis McDermott is the main character, you have William H. Macy who hires the hitman. Steve Buscemi is basically the lead of the two hitmen. And then you have Francis McDormand. So you have multiple character lines going on at the same time. I really, and because of the humor that's mixed in, so they all have their own kind of senses of humor and they all have their own violent moments. It really does seem like, this is 1996, this is right before prestige dramas became huge. Sopranos in the late 90s and then, you know, Six Feet Under. And I, I really feel like this form of narration translated so well to the television series that I don't know if I can draw a direct line from Fargo to The Sopranos to Breaking Bad. I was thinking about a lot watching this movie. How sometimes Brian Cranston saying, is fucking just to hilarious. Clarify, wasn't. Just to clarify, are you saying yeah. like specifically like a tonal thing, like like the the word we use so often nowadays, the dramedy? Is that kind of what you're getting? I think at? it's. Is that kind I of think what it, you're saying? so. I guess what I'm saying is the combination of the tone and that narrative form, and that every character, if they wanted, it's almost like they could have their own show. You just put them into one show, draw yeah. it out over ten episodes, and then you've got a series. This has a series feel, which is why they probably adapted it to 2014 with different characters. Mm. But just the the mode of this, it just it just reads like all of the stuff that we come to love. It's also it's a comedy, but it's not hilarious. It's a drama, but it's not yeah. terrifying, scary, or dark. It's like it's all of these things going on at the same time that ozark like all of these shows seem like yeah. they were inspired by this that that's me and printing my they first probably draft. i i think uh, one of the things to take away as well from the characters is that none of the characters in these films are supermen they are not mm -hmm. the upper echelon of society these are your average people who live in a small town uh at some point, you're at the lowest common denominator of society quite frankly there's not a lot of redeemable qualities in some of the bad guys there's like no one is excessively smart and that's how they get into these ridiculous situations that the Coen brothers keep putting them in mm -hmm. yeah i think a good example of that is um but you love these I, characters I have regardless a, i haven't looked i didn't research to find out if this was 100 percent true or not i think the cop that francis plays the sheriff was actually pregnant but it's such a good uh storytelling example of what you're talking about because she's so grounded in not being a superhuman she's she's literally impeded with pregnancy the entire mm. time so like that very first scene when she's investigating the cars and oh she's my God, just like so peels good. over she's like whoa and it's like you okay there margie and she's like just a little morning sickness and she's like let's go <laughs> check out that second chart you know and she's on it's just great it just immediately sets you and that, you're right that's 33 minutes into the movie that yeah. immediately sets you up for no one is going to do anything unrealistic and yet this is his exciting as real crime can get i mean that they open how compelling is it just the, the opening the opening uh pre pre-script writing 
um, that this is uh, these are based on actual events. The names were changed to. Yeah, uh, that's, an, that's, that, that's that's kind that's of a annoying. Lie. It's, it's a lie. lie, and they knew it. Yeah, <laughs> but it's still no, no. But yeah. storytelling wise, it's still it gives you that tone of what we're talking about. That yeah. nothing crazy is going to happen here that couldn't happen. Yeah. Uh, it, this is not a superhero tale, like you're saying, but this this is the kind of shit that that people in her position have to deal with. There are regular people out there who are sheriffs who you will never, ever hear about that have to solve mysteries of, of murder right. and mayhem. And it's not so goddamn dramatic all the time. When you show up to a murder and they say, do you need to eat anything? She's like, nah, Norm made eggs. Where? Yeah. Let's go look at that trooper. And she like goes look yeah. at this dead trooper. Yeah, it's like, and of course the yes. way they filmed, it's subtle. It's like, it's such a good texture, the whole thing. It's subtle, but it's also, it's larger than life. But, it, but if you expect to see a larger than life movie, you're going to be disappointed. It really, which is again, back to my little, that's the last time I'll talk about the the serial not the not serialized the prestige drama thing. It's like it's it just rolls. It just moves forward. It's not about the yucks or the ahas. Even the even the violence just and soars. even the way it it's just, even the way it's filmed. Jeff, I mean, uh, Dave, talk about Roger, dude. Like everything we yeah. just talked about. Like he grounds it even more with the simple this, way that he films it. That opening shot. This is Roger Deakins before like... I knew who Roger Deakins was, like when I first saw this. And you can tell he had some fun on this. Um, apparently, the original storyboards of the film only used static shots. And wow. he came on board and basically he, he lives for framing. So he managed to make the mundane interesting and in some cases introduce some downright foreshadowing. Um, you know, like and the first shot you see of William H. Macy is through blinds yeah. that are bars. And mm. and things like that, and like these actually the the extreme wide shots in this film are, were a personal favorite of mine before I even knew he did them. Like when he goes yeah. wide, it's like the environment is a character in the story. It is. It's so. I mean, it becomes it's a so, story device. Yeah. It's so. Uh, guy, guy, it's all about all these elements are coming together. I'm so glad we started off with that because the the word that kept coming to mind with those wide shots, especially, but a lot of his composition, it was just so stark. And mm. it kind of lent itself to exactly what you're talking about. It was just so grounded in this, like, there's nothing more than total real, real life here. And yet, I would still use the word, would you use the word beautiful? Would you feel comfortable using that word? Or is it? I always feel use comfortable using some the word beautiful. Some of them are. It's, 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 it's more interesting. Like, there's not, an, yeah. there's not an uninteresting shot. Like, there's a, a shot where, like, William H. Macy's sitting in his... Lob, like his front step and you can see the stairs in the foreground of the shot and like it's just the way that they framed him on one side and pushed him right up against the edge of the frame things like that it's well he's just like, a good i mean we've we've gushed about him before but you know you listen to his interviews or, or that podcast i'm glad you mentioned that by the way and the man just understands hmm. like the story will tell you what to do like the yeah. story is is your gut right and he just this is a good example it was there's a lot of simplicity to all these, all this cinematography, and yet because it is completely in line with the story, you don't even think about it. It just fucking works, right? And yeah. yet it's still beautiful. Like I still think it's like really good cinematography. That, um, it is. I want to talk about the performances, mm. Jeff. Let's fucking go there. William H. This was probably the first time as a young person that I noticed him, and then I got obsessed man. with him after Magnolia. But this one just like just just destroyed me just watching <laughs> yeah. that kind of person become more and more anxious and insecure the, the 
the build in each scene is great. The very opening, the opening scene at the bar is, is wonderful. How frustrated he gets. But then his whole big arc is huge as well. But that final time where he snaps a little bit when she comes to visit him one more time in his I, I office. Yeah. And he just says, like, well, I'm, I'm cooperating. I, I'm, I'm doing everything you need. You can just see yeah, him the, just slowly losing his mind. He has the worst poker face ever. And it oh finally God, builds yeah. to how it's how cathartic is it when you see him, even though he's getting captured, like in a way it still yeah. feels suffocating. I but actually when he finally that just because, screams yeah, at the lets, very he, end and he, he's he lets losing go an, He lets go an entire lifetime of frustration in 20 seconds. I mean, yeah. that's pretty much what oh. it is. His, eye, <laughs> and the eyes, his eyes are so huge and they're always worried throughout the movie, which they should be because he did the stupidest fucking thing imaginable in this movie. <laughs> but he he's so concerned the entire time. So I, I Francis McDormand's a hero. If you listen to this podcast every episode, we've gushed about her in the past. She truly is something from above. I don't understand why. I mean, maybe maybe Meryl just that time period was different. But like she is everything that any great actor or actress has ever been in the history of film cinema. Like she has done it every single time. She is never disappointed. She is perfect. I really mean that with all sincerity. And in this movie, she is 100% perfect. You see it once and you say, that was really great, but William H. Macy was great. Steve Buscemi was great. She was masterful. And to that scene, John, that you were talking about, I wrote down that this had to be one of the most fun days of, of acting on film of all time with the two of them. Because when William H. Macy starts doing that, she does what she did perfectly in Three Billboards too, is she is stone cold still and just looking at yeah. him and going, you have no cause for being snippy with me, sir. And then he like mm-hmm. starts being just like, but but I'm I'm cooperating here. She's like, I'm just doing my job. And she, you can tell she's kind of baiting him because she, she, I mean, you could watch it 10 different times and think she's doing 10 different intentions, but whatever it is, it's right. And then when, oh my God, when William H. Macy leaves that scene and then he drives away... <laughs> We got a runner. He's leaving the scene. He's leaving the scene. He's leaving the scene. He's fleeing the interview. We've got a gush warning. Oh no, the gush alarm is going on. First gush warning. For me. If there's any, I'm so happy. Fucking Billy made. I'm so happy. I'm so happy. The first gush went for Frances McDormand. That is how much we love that woman. The first gush alarm. I'm gonna keep going. I'm gonna keep fucking going with her. She. So all right. So I'm gonna tell a little anecdote. I got to. I met and saw the Coen Brothers last year in new york city at the metrograph cinema when they were there for the ballad of buster scruggs so of course they did a uh, big q a afterwards dude. and everyone was talking to them and everyone in that theater was a huge fan of them so this the person who asked this question wasn't an angry critical sensitive person but somebody did ask the question that you know they are tired of fucking hearing why are your movies so violent why do you guys like violence so much and they didn't choose violent. to answer I know. Okay, first of all, they're not even that violent, but I know all, what they mean. So they didn't even they didn't even choose to answer. Some of the actors were like, they grabbed the mic and they were like, uh, <laughs> and they started <laughs> talking about how these guys don't glorify the violence. Like, if it's necessary to show the violence, they are unafraid right. of showing it. But they are not Quentin Tarantino. They're not. They're not doing slow motion blood spurt just for the sake of glorifying the the aesthetic of violence. And they were sitting there listening to it. I just want to share this quote. The only thing they said after the audience had a back and forth with all the actors who were kind of getting snippy with the audience, they were like, what is wrong with you? Like, how do you not see that? Finally, Ethan Cohen grabs the mic and says, you know, people are horrible to each other. And that's what's interesting. And that's why life is great. (laughs) And it's such a good example because the end of this movie How do they, all those things we just said about the tone and stuff, like there is comedy there, but 
the thing that isn't totally there until the last moment for me, William H. Macy's wife loves him. Like, it's terrible what happens to her. It's funny and it's terrible. In so the you're film, thinking not about Felicity that the Huffman. Whole time. Felicity Huffman should go to jail. Yeah, not her. Not his real wife. Uh, his wife and Fargo. Dave, give me a buzzer. We, this is a buzzer-free scene. round. I'm, I'm giving you some buzzes. <laughs> what? I, yeah, that, that, you the didn't say scene. anything negative. The last <laughs> moment when, when Margie's husband, and they are in bed together, and he tells her he got the three-cent stamp. Oh, my and God. And she says, got, yeah. do you know up. what? I mean, the, even that, that scene right before where she's driving him, she's like, it's a beautiful day. I just don't get it. Money's not worth also, it. Also, it was not a beautiful day. It was bed. so snowy and foggy. It was so funny. She's like, it's a beautiful day. But this day. scene in the bed, it just adds this other element where like, you didn't think they were even, maybe you didn't even know they were capable of doing that with this story or just as filmmakers in general. And then at the last moment, they show you mm-hmm. true love and support. And it is so simple. It's just this tiny little shot of this middle-aged couple that loves each other, that goes to work every day, totally supporting each other. I did, every time I watch this movie, it sneaks up on me, and I have yeah. the most, a full heart by the end of this. I'm gushing. Well, I think I think the last line of the movie is her saying this. Also, she's the hero of the movie, and she says, you know, we're doing pretty good, Norm. Yeah, oh my God. This is like dude. literally the night mm. she saw a guy pushing a leg down a wood chipper. <laughs> she that goes would put home that night. <laughs> she literally sees a foot being pushed into a wood chipper. And then she goes home that night and says, They chose your mallard, because I guess he was painting a mallard for the stamp. And then he said, Nobody uses just the three cent stamp. And she said, People always need the little stamps whenever they raise the postage. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know. You know, we're doing pretty good, Norm. Oh, no, that's not the last I, line. The last line The last line is two more months because she's pregnant, and that's when the babies do. Two pregnant, more months. Yeah. This I has mean, nothing to do with the rest of the oh. movie, and yet it has everything to do with the rest of the movie. It's so fucking I mean, good. In Dave, my opinion, Dave, yeah. you talk. If, talk about Steve you, Buscemi. Do what you got to do. Oh, uh, I mean, Steve Buscemi is always a pleasure to watch. And he's kind of funny like, looking. Oh, in yeah. Any, yeah. any particular that's, way? That's, that's no. the, yeah. It's just kind of funny. It's like, <laughs> he's such a good sport about that sort of thing. Uh but if, if you're used to fast-paced films, this will look like it's going nowhere for the first minute or so. I beg you to yeah. stick with it. Like, yeah. that's, it's, it's, it's on purpose. It's on it's purpose. They love, they, sure. Yeah, they lull you, they bring you down, and then it slowly wait. spirals out of control. Wait for Franny, wait for Franny. Yeah. Uh, if you've had a really shitty day, this is the perfect film to watch to put things in perspective. Mm-hmm. It's like, it yeah. could always be worse. Yeah. And yeah. you will probably find yourself inadvertently mimicking the uh, Minnesota accent for about 24 years after watching this film. That's not. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What are. Yeah. 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 When she I interviews mean... those two girls, when she interviews oh the two hookers. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Apparently, she based her uh, accent off of the one on the left, the one who talks the most, who tells the story yes. about her aunt with the cigarettes. That's really funny. <laughs> Um, we could talk a lot about everything, all the, the supporting characters, I ask, all the cameos. I just want to ask you guys really quickly, what's your favorite Coen Brothers movie? Is this it? <clears throat> this, this is it, but I'll give a different answer. Dave, go ahead. It's a, it's, I mean, I've, I'm tied between this and Lebowski. Oh, yeah. I, so John, yours is I Lebowski, right? Yeah, for sure. I've watched the movie to, like just, 15 just times. Not to, <laughs> not, to, not to step over you, John. This movie came out two years after. Lebowski came out two years after this in 98. Two years All after. Good. Excuse me. No worries. Um, I think mine mine is definitely this. But if I had to come up with a second, 
I think I'm actually gonna go with Oh Brother Where Art Thou. I just love the oh, yeah. the fancy the fantasy element mm-hmm. of it. Yeah. I think it's fun. Fun, dude. Odyssey. I can tell I you though, if you part. if you do like this and you find yourself wanting more, like they did make a hit TV show. Um, Ooh, God, it's good. And it's what's yeah. it? Four, se- four seasons now. They're Three about seasons, to drop the fourth, right? Yeah, they're about to uh, drop the Nora Fall. Yeah, Chris. And Rock I have it. On, no, I, I have. No I haven't Holly. seen it all. I haven't all, seen it all the way through, but I have it on good authority that they show you what happens to the briefcase in the series. Really? So if you're wondering what oh, happens wow. to that money, it does come oh, up. No characters really turn up from it. Don't expect any characters from the movie, but apparently the briefcase right. does feature. That scene um, is so fucking funny, dude. When he looks left and right. <laughs> There's yeah, also yeah, yeah. Uh, have you seen have you have you seen the film Cut Bank with uh, no, Liam no. Hemsworth? Uh, no, it's no. Liam Ham- Liam Hemsworth, John Malkovich, Bruce Dern. If you like Fargo, you'll probably like this. It's uh, it's more of an indie kind of one, uh, but it it uh, has a very similar plot. He filmed he's filming or taking photos of something, inadvertently takes photos of something he shouldn't, and the whole situation devolves from that point on in this nice. one town it's a it's a similar sort of uh concept and I wanna, not a bad film i caught that a couple of years ago at a film festival i want to give a quick shout out to to carter burwell their composer who has worked with them a lot um they are midwest boys and they love that folky thing obviously brother where art thou they really lean into it i love carter's score in fargo that theme is rock solid and the way he mm-hmm. voices the kind of twangy string instruments it just it just fucking right. fits i don't even think it should fit and it fits. I don't know why it no. belongs in a snowy yeah. setting, but it, it feels, works. It feels renaissance-y, right? Like it feels like a minstrel show or something. Yeah. Um, should, should we do this again? Movie. Again, we could talk about the supporting characters. There's some great Mike. I love the guy that tells them that he. There's the guy at the lake. Like he keeps. Oh, he kept saying that. You know, he's getting lonely <laughs> oh, yeah. down there at the lake. Yeah. And it's like <laughs> it is one of the best. Honestly, it's a it's it's one camera angle. Day player. And, Unbelievable. It's a day player the shows up, back the cop the is camera. back towards yeah. you, and the guy is talking, and they don't even cut away. They're like, this guy is perfect. Anyway, we can talk about these all the time. Let's do a quick favorite quotes. Do you guys need a second? I'll Ooh, do my favorite quote yeah, while dude. you think, for sure. I yeah, mean, there's so many. This, I'm we're going to bomb something. these. Dave, just get ready to buzz our Minnesota accents here. <laughs> uh, so mine is uh, no question. And uh, I guess that was your accomplice in the wood chipper. <laughs> she goes up on everything at the end yeah uh dave you got one I, I i don't actually have a line but i do kind of like when the father like you establish the father of the yeah. his wife starts bargaining with the trying to bargain with the kidnappers and knocking the price down yeah that's right that's funny <laughs> it's, it's like the one thing you get is uh everyone everyone in this film who is in or was in a uniform is mm-hmm. nice, and everyone else who wasn't is a complete nut of fucktard. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the, yeah, Like, they're a despicable person. <laughs> um, I have one more, but John, you go first. Uh, I mean, I think it's that thing I, I mentioned earlier, that that little line where she, like, oh, it's just a little morning sickness. All right, well, yeah. let's go check out that yeah, new yeah, trooper yeah, yeah, yeah. I really like that let's one. Go, I also like it. It's just such a, it's such a throwaway, but you know what? I'm going to tie it into what I, the thing I was mentioning earlier. When when norm it's norm right that's her husband's name yeah. yeah when he that little scene where she's he just brings her some some fast food and they're oh eating in her office and he kisses her on the cheek and she goes you got arby's all over me norm <laughs> he kisses <laughs> yes, her. every she's time like, you see them they're eating or in bed she's yeah, so funny. touching it's so sweet yeah. i love and it's her delivery man her deliveries are so good she's yeah. driving in the, the the cop car um it's winding down 
and all of a sudden they've been looking for the tan sierra the whole time that's what that went missing long story william h macy works at a used car shop gives steve buscemi a tan sierra to do this job it's a long thing in the movie yada 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 anyway they're looking for a tan sierra this entire movie and she's on the radio as she drives, she finally, she's just looping around the lake and she sees the, the fucking Sierra and she just go, there's the car, there's the car, there's the car, there's the car. <laughs> and the way she does it in the accent where she's shouting on the radio, it's just really fucking funny. I don't know why. It's, also, because yeah. it's the end of the movie. We know that now she's found the, that's it. It's over. It's so good. Anyway. So much funny talking. This perfect movie. I, it's so no, good. I mean, it's great. I, we didn't talk about it at all. That one scene where her friend from high school asks her out when she's in the twin city i mean that's just why is that married it it doesn't even need to be in there but it needs to be in there oh no when she she finds out that he's that his wife that he said he had a wife that got cancer (laughs) he's like they never get married and she goes well that's a surprise like she like says it but she's 100 she's there's a debate around that too because that is referenced as one of the most pointless scenes ever put on film in a story and the debate argues that the fact that he lied to her is what makes her go back and re-question william macy Ah, oh, very good. Interesting. That's I not like my it. argument. Thank Someone you. else Thank made that argument that. before no, no, me, no, but yeah. Good, Academy good. Award take, best take credit, Dave. <laughs> Academy Award best screenplay, as well as best actress. So you know, maybe, maybe Dave, maybe they had that checked out. Mm. Also, I really think it's just for the one line, which is which is a dagger line. Yeah. Where she's like, basically, like, why are it's okay? Like, why are you doing this? Basically, why are you hitting on me? I'm pregnant. I'm married. What's going on? And he just says, I'm I'm just so alone. And it's the I'm first so time that lonely. it's the first time that any of these characters who live in the middle of the snow, they live in the he middle says, of the snow. The line is, the line is, uh, he says, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have done this. I shouldn't have done this. I shouldn't have. I thought we'd have a really terrific time. And she says, it's OK, Mikey. He, he says, you were such a super lady and I'm I'm so lonely. <laughs> yeah. But such it's the first time that lady. any of these characters admit <laughs> so that they're lonely. just lonely. Like I they're mean, just alone. Yes. If I, I was, it's a if, touching if I was, scene. If I wasn't married, I'd go out and try the pity routine right now, just based on that on that scene. Honestly, that, dude, no, I think I that's mean, a good time to bring this home. <laughs> <laughs> it's good. Anyway, so much heart, so awesome much violence. Movie. This far, it's worth a rewatch, you guys. It's worth a rewatch. That narrative match. Where worth, did we watch it? This, Where did we see it? This one's worth a purchase. Did we see it somewhere for free on streaming? No, I rented this one. Yeah, I rented it. We have to rent this. It's worth a rent or worth a purchase. I was absolutely happy to rent this. Yeah, it was awesome. Go give it another look, everybody, right. even if you've seen it before. Um, when we come back, we are going to get to our second film starring um, Leonardo Dica- DiCaprio. That's right. Yes. And Claire Danes. Baz Luhrmann. Australia, Dave! <laughs> Romeo and Juliet. Stick with us. See you soon. Let's give a big let's give a big shout out to a friend of the pod, Jordan Ellis, our friend Jordan Ellis, for winning a thousand dollars by on Wednesday betting on Colin Morikawa to win the PGA championship. God, he won a thousand dollars. Yeah, plus two thousand. Just just to clarify, he won that somewhere else. We we are not giving away money. Yeah. (laughs) Take a drink, Jordan. Congratulations for betting on a 23 year old who we've never heard of. Congratulations, dude. That is a a long shot. That's a good one.
That's a good one. Wow. All right, we are back. So we had a lot of fun looking through the year 1996 in film, mm. and we're gonna get into Romeo and Juliet as another as a relook. Also, Baz Luhrmann's second feature film after Strictly Ballroom, starring somebody who gets a lot of shout outs on this show, actually, right? Tony Collette. Yeah. Lots of love. Lots of love. So anyway, that's a very it's a, Australian film. It's a phenomenal film. film. My, uh, it's, it's funny. One of my sister-in-laws went into ballroom dancing and uh, we went down to watch it once and I immediately came home and made my, my wife watch Strictly Ballroom. And nice. she looks at me differently now. So. <laughs> that's really funny. Um, <laughs> you like this so yeah. so anyway, Romeo and It's a Juliet. great film. They're all good. I still haven't seen it, dude. I feel like an asshole. I haven't seen Strictly Ballroom. Romeo and Juliet. Starring Leonardo DiCaprio the year before Titanic, which, um, you know, so he basically was a burgeoning A-list star as a 20, 21 year old, something like that when this yeah, came out. Yeah. Uh, he fought for Claire Danes. Claire Danes had um, the year before done My So-Called Life. So she was sort of, you know, on the up and up. John Leguizamo plays Tybalt's. Um, you get Pete Postlethwaite, who we love on the show as Friar Lawrence, Paul Sorvino yes. and Brian Dennehy as Ooh. Capulet and Montague, respectively. And then one, Mr. Paul Rudd, a year after yeah. Clueless, comes in as Dave Paris, Juliet's um, soon-to-be Suda. husband. Yes. The reason she pretends to kill herself is because of Paul Rudd. I think she probably should have just said, okay. you know what, Romeo, just, we've had fun. Just while we're on this, I want to open this up. How the fuck is Paul Rudd not aging like the rest of us? I call vampire. No, have you seen Have you seen this? I have you seen vampire. the things that are going around? Like, He's a full-on vampire. Yeah. Yeah. It's been 24 years since this movie, and he looks exactly the same. Some, like, $1,000 cream made from baby seal's wishes or something you like right. that. I mean, that may be right. I'm just, I'm, just saying, did, that... I'm just saying, do not expose your neck to Paul Rudd. Maybe just, maybe just being a good person. You <laughs> age well. Okay, so, 1996. It's Shakespeare. It's Romeo and Juliet. It is romanticized. You know what this movie is? Guys, go with me. Have you ever seen one of those candles at a grocery store or a bodega that's really colorful and it always has like Jesus and there's always a, a quote, like a Bible quote with it when you get the candle? If that candle be, if that candle became a movie, this is the movie. <laughs> I mean, I think those candles are in this fucking movie. I yeah. think they're fucking all It is so place. colorful, yeah. very neon. religious. Yeah. Um, it's set in a fictional Verona beach. Which, but it looks a whole lot like Rio de Janeiro meets Miami, right? Does, uh, did you get a feel for that, of what that a is? A little bit. You know what I mean? Obviously, Fair Verona, right? It's where, you know, it's, set, it's originally based in Italy from our friend Bill Shakespeare. Or was it Bill Shakespeare? We'll yes, know. that is the subject Shut of up. much debate. Oh, come anyway, on. So Baz decides to romanticize it and modernize it. They're using guns instead of knives and daggers. Um, I, I actually read online, I don't know if you guys saw this, that there's only one character who actually speaks in iambic pentameter. So he, he used, they use the language pretty well. You know, obviously the famous speeches are drawn from in such a way that a lot of the famous lines are in the movie but as mm. far as the actual like full scenes they're cut down they're 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 changed a lot um friar lawrence is the only one that actually speaks in true iambic pentameter the entire time friar lawrence is played by pete apostle thwaite i think i'm saying that correctly may he rest in peace i'm so glad he was cast as this He's a phenomenal oh, he's so actor. fucking yeah. good. Also, he was a florist in the town, the Ben Affleck movie, and he's a friar in this, but he also loves cutting plants. 
loves snipping plants, our Friar Lawrence. So anyway, he's been, he's been typecast. He was typecast. Leonardo DiCaprio is a huge star. I have thoughts. I'll let you guys go first. Who wants to go first with this film? Let's go with Dave. It's Australian. We got you sure. got to start off. It is. Right? It is I, I have a. I, it's funny. I have a like a two degree of separation with Baz Luhrmann. I was at how's that? Uh, I was at the Gold Coast Airport once, uh, just waiting, and I chat to people at airports. It's a thing. And I was chatting with this guy back and forwards. He was in the film industry and didn't think anything of it. And suddenly he's like, "Oh, I've got to go. There's my people." And I look up, and there's Baz getting on the fucking plane. I'm like, "Holy shit! Why did I not ask this guy to introduce me to his friends?" Like. <laughs> Yeah, missed him by that so, much. But so anyway, he still yeah. flies. He still flies commercial. Yeah, yeah, he does. <laughs> uh, for, what do you think okay. of the movie, Dave? <laughs> for, what movie? Uh, okay, yeah, no. For, for okay, for anyone not familiar with Shakespeare, this is one of the tragedies. It's not going to end well. Just be prepared for that. If you don't know that by now, that is not a spoiler. It's your fault. I've heard some things. Um, what I really and I do, I do love this film because of the attention to detail when adapting, like. There's there's dialogue hidden in banners and dialogue engraved on guns and like he's when he's adapted this he's updated it for the modern era but he's really thought about it like for instance John Leguizamo worked with a choreographer to accommodate his gunplay in the opening scene um, because they described Tybalt's showmanship as as show uh, his swordsmanship sorry as showy. So they choreographed him to have a, like a flamenco style of gunplay to compensate for just that line. And like the artistic direction of all of the entire film, it's like every frame is thought about. The cinematography is great. Um, they play with time a lot. Like they speed shut shit up. They slow stuff down. It's, it's a ride. It's, it's really a very stylized version. And in my opinion, one of the best adaptations of this play I've ever seen on film. Wow, that is mm-hmm. high praise. Mm. That's high praise. I mean, right from the opening monologue, which you get delivered by a newsreader on a small television that's slowly zooming into the screen, you you kind of know fun, you're in for something yeah. special. But I, you, I'll tell you what: when you get to the first, you get to the first scene at the uh, at the gas station um, for Australian listeners. That's the petrol station. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the opening is done. It's almost like William Shakespeare's "The Fast and the Furious," directed by Quentin Tarantino. The action it's, is great. It's yeah. such a mashup of it's, styles, and it I, I just love it. Is the guy who plays yeah. Benvolio based on the character Buzz from Home Alone? <laughs> Can't even buzz him for that. <laughs> <laughs> he's got that weird-ass buzz haircut. He thinks he's so Ray cool, Donovan? but it kind of looks I mean, there's ridiculous. even subtle oh, things. Oh, yeah. There's subtle is things. that him? Huh. Sorry, Dave. Carry on amongst yourselves. It's fine. No, no, this, this like, in the, in the, uh, in the, uh, the police chief takes the part of the prince uh, in this and in his office, like yeah. even the cinematography there where they've, the camera is focused on the space in between the families. Like there's a gap in between them when they're sitting there being chastised. And the, even like the main characters are half off, off frame. There's, there's only half of them showing, but they're focusing on this gap in between them. And it, it's like everything has a message in this. Like the cinematographer, like Donald McAlpine, he makes sure your eyes just constantly bathed in stimulating visuals the whole way through this also one yeah. of my favorite takes in the balcony scene i mean like the fa- like the yeah, first one it. the famous balcony scene yeah it's my one of yeah. my favorite takes on that yeah yeah i think uh, i thought it was cool too i totally agree this was this was the first movie that i remember anticipating as a young person i was 10 years Whoa. old 
And I remember being like, you know, classic fucking Romeo and Juliet, hardcore love and tragedy. Like I was so excited to see this movie. I knew it was going to affect me. It affected me for a very long time. I am a huge fan. Baz Luhrmann and Catherine Martin, his wife and production designer, they either work for you or they don't. So like the conversation kind of begins and ends with whether or not you like their style. Um, I like it. Moulin Rouge was one of my favorite movies for a while when I was coming up. Uh, I really love that stimulating style. And uh, acting wise, I mean, dude, I completely agree with you. Anyone who says Leonardo DiCaprio is overrated, give me, you know, who compare says that? Someone give me their else. fucking name. Honestly, yeah, like, compare anyone else to someone who has sustained a canon of above the bar work for for this long i mean like you said he's only 20 or 21 when he's doing this and he doesn't you know i mean he is he's romeo but like the way this play is set up and they did a good job with this adaptation too he doesn't carry the whole movie on his shoulders he's not in every single frame Hmm. but he does his fucking job and the ones that matter i mean this this story does not work if you do not believe that these two actually would go to the links they're willing to go to you can't just get lost in the language you can't just get lost in Baz Luhrmann and Catherine Martin's design. Um, the the work that they do, and I agree with you, Dave. That balcony scene, that that thing changed my my life, dude. It is staged like so well. It's staged so well. It's such a good because anyone who's in the theater world, especially, but you know, you see it in movies too. They've definitely tried to adapt to stuff a lot. Every time someone tries to adapt Shakespeare out of the general period that it was conceived in and is usually put on it's I'm, it's going to be yeah. uh it's it's going to be a struggle for you if you don't get on board and i, I think mean, i'm just i'm some... just saying tom hooper before you do another musical maybe watch this fucking movie <laughs> honestly yeah no i think it's a lesson i feel like they used many creative ways not just in adapting um and in an int- interesting translation of the script the way they used the medium of cinema to convey actual lines or sentiment from certain passages or lines that uh, of Shakespeare is is the most creative adaptation I've seen. I, I like the Branagh straightforward adaptations as well, but this one stands alone. I don't mm. think anyone has adapted it with so much style and so much. How do you take something like Shakespeare and make it so personal? You can tell this is a Baz Luhrmann film. The action is through the roof. No one, no one hears about Romeo and Juliet when they're coming of age and thinks, "Oh, it's an action." There's action yeah. in that movie. Yeah, there's a couple of sword fights, but like this, this action is on fucking point. The gas station <laughs> blowing up. The way they get into the end of the uh, the exposition with that first fight, how their fight at the gas station, which is incredible, erupts into a citywide brawl that gets the so entire families on. involved. Ends with the helicopters. I love the usage of the TV news anchors as narrators. Yeah. Um, and then the work individually, the casting is is super on point. I already talked about Leo. Claire Danes is wonderful. I think the she's awesome, yeah. She's she's kind of young for me to say this now, I guess, but I remember when I was a teenager, I think the most beautiful person I had ever seen in my life was her through that fish tank when they first see her. Oh yeah. When he first, first sees her sees in the her. bathroom. I was I don't think it, I had never seen any girl look more beautiful to me in my whole life. John Leguizamo as Tybalt is amazing. Yeah. yeah. 100%. His use He's of the language, up. it's too easy. It's one of those examples cuz sometimes you go to see theater or you know film again. Sometimes you go to see theater where you see Shakespeare. Yeah. 
sometimes you go see people do Shakespeare and you see them like an Ian McKellen or a Patrick Stewart, you see them put on the, the whole deal with the, this is the way you say iambic pentameter and this is how you express it with certain inflection and stuff. And then sometimes you see someone like John Leguizamo who throws it away. And he's like, no, 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 I'm going to ground this in total realism. It's not going to be bound by the rhythm of a pentameter. And it still worked. I'm not saying he ignored it completely, hmm. but he, he made it so his own that he, he almost never sounded like he was speaking iambic pentameter Shakespearean writing to me. And we have got to talk about Harold Perrinol, who put Perido, who plays Mercutio. Holy yeah. fucking oh, shit. Oh, yeah. Holy Cro- yeah. shit. Cross dressing Mercutio. The, this is she, one of my Mab favorite characters. Unbelievable. If also, you don't to, think. Also, sorry, go ahead, this John. is one of the best just, tripped out sequences since uh, The Big Lebowski, I would say. Yeah, I love that. I'm going to talk about Baz that. Baz Luhrmann. Yeah, this is the last thing I'll say, and I'm going to pass it off. Baz Luhrmann, I'm always a huge fan of when anyone can mess with gender bending and really create a strange fluidity of, of gender and character. And he is just a master at it. He does it in all of his films. And Harold Perrineau in this just takes you on a ride. From the moment he comes up, you're like, wow, this is going to be fun. He kills the Queen Mab speech. And that transition in, with young hearts fly free into the party is fucking mm. 10. Mm. Masterpiece. Yeah. Going into yeah. him dancing on the stairs, using the voiceover of the singing. I remember the first time I saw this, I was just thinking, I was only 10, but I remember thinking, I just didn't know you could, you were allowed to do any of this with movies. <laughs> yeah. I didn't know you were allowed to do this. And it right. worked. The whole it's... thing fucking works all the way up through his death. He is, he's probably my favorite performance in the movie, but there's so many great ones. Who, what do you think, Joe? Well, so Harold Perrineau is uh, Michael from Lost. He's also in Oz, if you guys think the name's familiar. No, Mike. Um, yeah, I, Michael. I actually didn't realize he was Michael from Lost. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah, and, and he's a, in the, the second dog. and third Matrix. Hmm. He plays yes. Deezer's, Dozer's brother. And anyway, yeah, he's awesome. So, and if you don't think this movie did have an impact afterwards, Mercutio especially, but Mercutio and Benvolio have been notorious casting anomalies since this movie came out. Gender bending, trans people cross dressing, and it had like there it had to have been some kind of influence from. I mean, a, a cross-dressing Mercutio at the Capulet Ball is fucking awesome. It's a masquerade. They can do whatever they want. And that yeah. is just, it's incredible. Anyway, they talk about the, sh- the, the shoes and the heels and stuff. And that's from Shakespeare. It's brilliant. It, it was so, so, so good. So here's here's my, I did like this movie too. I it, this The show loses steam at a certain point And... The movie does a little bit as well. Obviously, when when the humor dies out, they tried really hard with like Leo kind of tripping when he's leaving Juliet's bed, basically the day before all the shit's going to go down at the end. It's like the last time they're going to see each other alive after they know that, you know, things are going bad. They try to like sneak some humor in because they know that it's just droll after that. And it's tricky. It's tense. Claire Danes was awesome. I'm not blaming anybody. It's just, you know, after a while, it's like, oh, God, man. It's the play. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, there's one sort of I I think it's a misconception about the two characters in general of Romeo and Juliet. Juliet is the archetypal lover, but Romeo ne- is not necessarily the archetypal lover. He is if you follow his behavior, he follows more along the path of the fool and it's called out by all of his friends and family and even in this movie a lot Friar Lawrence where they they keep saying wait, Romeo, you just felt this way about Rosaline. Like, why is Juliet different? And I think we, especially in modern society, just assume that Juliet's different. Like, she's the one now. But there are so many hints that this is just Romeo's behavior, but we never really get to see that in the play. 
I was worried rewatching this because that opening sequence at the gas station, as John des- and, and Dave, sorry, described really well, um, it's so it's so um, frenzy. They they do freeze frames where they put the characters te- like names up and like super tight on um, subtitles. Um, they're like Benvolio. Romeo's friend, fucking awesome guy. And then they like move on in the sequence and it's very, very lush. And I'm like, okay, but we always forget the point of the story of this, which is Romeo is reckless because he thinks he's in love. Do, is it actual true love? We really don't know. I mean, we, we assume it is because we want it to be. We really want it to be. I think the real moral of the story is I not mean, love is so great. Well, yeah. <laughs> Well, but, the, but again, the, the, the real message of the story is not love is so great. The real love of the story, is, the, the real message of the story is, is it infatuation? And can't teenagers Obsession. be allowed, to, can't, yeah, can't teenagers be allowed to fuck up and figure this out for themselves? We've all known this for centuries. Like teenagers should be allowed to try things out, right? So like, who knows if, if they actually get married in a year down the road, it sucks and they get divorced. Like who the fuck knows? They're 14, right? They're teenagers. So we don't really know that they're lovers and, and in love. And all of Romeo's behavior is reckless so therefore he could be the fool and i think baz does this perfectly from the moment he introduces romeo um all the 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 craziness the hecticness the guns the helicopter the tv and then all of a sudden you see leo on the beach smoking a cigarette he has um highlights in his hair he he looks like he's harry styles or i guess harry styles looks like he's leonardo dicaprio from this movie immediately fashion trends like everything you could ever imagine of what a star kid looks like in 1996 it's fucking leo it's perfect he's moping he's whiny his friends call him out it is perfect but but leo's alive he doesn't just give in to the sulk of the character it's brilliant and then what i didn't what is so fucking brilliant and baz baz knows that these are imperfect characters again they're not perfect it's not like these perfect souls and if everybody else was better they could live happily ever after no that's not romeo and juliet it's not so what baz does is he makes the Capulet ball basically like uh, like a european um edm like just monstrosity it's awesome really fun wild they give them all mdma romeo meets juliet and falls in love with her on drugs that is a director saying wait a second stop glorifying these characters like i know i know it's it's two things at once so now leo gets to look at claire danes through the water and it's trippy as fuck that he sees her and he's like oh my god she's in love but he's also on drugs so we can't really rely on him as a reliable narrative like he's he can't be our 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 real um moral focal point of view because he's on a a hallucinogenic upper so like it's just brilliant so that whole the, the whole scene you guys were talking about about the balcony scene he's still on fucking drugs so it's like it's it's so brilliant that no, Baz decided his head in to the do water. that he's fine sure but it's just like <laughs> it was good and then at the end of the balcony scene which is in the pool now they're in the pool which again beautiful and lush again the director knows what the point of this movie is which is about it, it's about just letting teenagers fuck around and and just letting them decide for themselves like giving them the microphone to not be perfect but to guess wait hold on i'm almost done and then as claire dance gets out of the pool because she's like i have to go leonardo caprio says i can't remember the exact line but he says something like are you really gonna leave me wanting more right now and claire dance stops and she turns around and looks at him and says what more 
would you want of me tonight? Which is a very, very clear, like, wait, are you just trying to hook up with me moment? It's a very, very clear. And Romeo basically goes, oh, um, just, just the promise that you're going to be faithful to me in love. And she's like, sure, I'll be faithful to you in love. I'll see you tomorrow. And so again, it's just, it's very deliberate that it, they're just, they're, they're dating. They're just, they're dating here. And yes, it spirals and it goes crazy. But if they didn't have restrictions, they wouldn't have to try to marry in secrecy. And then maybe they could figure it out for themselves if it wants to work out or not. And I think Baz did that brilliantly. That's my rant. No, dude, I totally agree. I think this is about, um, we're like breaking down Romeo and Juliet now, but we use, that's so well said, because I do, I, ha, I have always felt that like Romeo is a false audience surrogate in this tale. I think what Shakespeare was ultimately trying to talk about was, was obsession. And what are the two polarities of obsession are hate and love. Mm-hmm. And he has these two families who are blind up through the very end of this, and you think that love is going to set them free, if you, if you, for a moment, get on board with the priest, and you have him as your surrogate, and you are an optimist, and you think this could change everything. But if you're brutally honest about what's happening, this is not a love story between two teenagers. This is a, a terrible tragedy of watching adults be blinded by obsession, and teenagers who, of course, we know don't have a chance but to be blinded by obsession. Also, there's this endearing quality. uh, Did you, early on, before they settled into the love story, did you get a a hint of a Godfather series there? Like you've got the two aging patriarchs who are losing control of their families because the young kids think they know better? Interesting. I mean, a little bit. And and how Godfather there. It also helps to get Paul Sorvino for that. I was about to say, (laughs) to give give Baz credit, just more of how he knew what the fuck he was trying to do. Maybe it's not the only way to tell this story, you guys. We're not saying that, but this is a very personal, true perspective. By casting someone like Paul Paul Sorvino, who is amazing. (laughs) It was just unbelievable. When he screams at Tibble, when he screams at Julia, I mean, it's just like, God damn it. At the Capulet Ball, when he's just like sticking his tongue out because he's probably on drugs too. It's so funny. I'm not saying you have to do it the whole time, but I I teach acting classes. And whenever actors are like, you can't just just scream. Like acting isn't just screaming. I'm just like, have you ever seen Paul Sorvino act? <laughs> I mean, have they never seen an Al Pacino scream. movie? What's, what do you mean? You can't, like, are you are you kidding me? Why do actors need an excuse? Why do they need the perfect reason to scream? Just fucking scream and move on with your life. Just fucking, let's see what happens. It, but you're right, Dave. Break I mean, I feel like that's then... uh, he knew exactly what he was trying to do. I feel like he cast people like that because he wanted to set us up for it. Th- those were vehicles that we could get in on the inside as audience members and understand the broken nature of this script and this story ahead of time. Because everyone knows the tragedy of Romeo and Juliet. But when you're a kid and you learn about that Mm. tragedy, you think it's two people who earnestly fell in love and then something terrible happened to them and they died. You don't realize that it's much more complicated on multiple levels. And it's kind of Romeo's fault. Like Romeo has to blame To that terrible thing that happens. Like the, the death scene is something that is very hard to stage. Um, yeah. and I feel they like did they, they, Does it they work did for it. You? Oh yeah. They did it perfectly because like, it's, you've got that thing, like she's waking up, everything's going to be fine. Even though you know how this ends, it's like, she's waking up. And I mean, then it just lent that, itself that, to yeah, cinema, there's, didn't there's it? like a nasty, yeah. nasty way they stage this. And it, it like really pulls on your heartstrings because it's just, so fucking close to being to being okay yeah Yeah, like i like throwing back to my earlier joke if tarantino had directed this luckily he would have still been monologuing and she would have woken up but no in this case no she no not having but dare i say too that also i think claire danes 
who we know now is brilliant, so it's easy yeah. to go back. Because I I've saw this in 1996, 97, and I, for one, can say I wish... I like saw Leonardo DiCaprio and I was like, why can't that just be me? Why can't I just be that guy? It doesn't make any sense. <laughs> she's brilliant in this movie and she's young. This is, she's a young actress. She's underage. So a little weird that her and Leah are making out and she has a topless scene. We don't see her topless because she's 17, but like. That was her anyway, first scene, by the way. Yeah. That was the first day of filming. Yeah. yeah. And Leah was already in his 20s, whatever. Um, so she. The, I, I Again, I don't think this is in Romeo and Juliet, but. She's so angry at her parents that the anger at her family is done very well by Baz that could inspire her to just end her life when she sees Romeo dead. If she had a support system that was like, I just love you, whoever you are, maybe she would see Romeo dead and then turn to her family and say, what should I do now? But I think, again, we our tale of, of Romeo and Juliet is she can't live with herself seeing Romeo dead. But I, I don't think she can live with her family without Romeo in a way. Is, is she, Anyway, it's, it's yes, an interesting, no, 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 it's an no, interesting you're right. brilliant Again, take it's, that Claire Danes did. It's that, it's, that, it's that same thing. Claire did it. She totally pulled it off. But like that scene catapults. So when, when Paul Sorvino fucking throws her on the floor and threatens her that if she doesn't marry Paris. Exactly. His, his obsession... He has passed on his cycle of abuse to his daughter, and she realizes there is no way to live within this. Now, again, yeah. all through the eyes of a teenager, they immediately think, I'm going to kill myself. <laughs> like, you know, that's, that's right. what a teenager yeah. does. And through the eyes but... of an adult, it's like, you know what? Paul Rudd's a good guy. He does not age. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Not too bad. He's Ant-Man. Oh, man. <laughs> so charming. I mean, to sum, to sum up, it's it's got a rocking soundtrack, diverse casting. It's a faithful yes. adaptation of the language, despite having a few prominent scenes cut. Yeah, it's, it takes a second to get used yeah, to. It, it takes a I second because it's combine very that, Combine that with the wonder that is Baz Luhrmann's mind, and it's it makes this something to behold, not something to just watch. Right. Like, it yeah. elevates he, it above uh, a normal film. Uh, he His... Um, his relationship with Radiohead, that was one of the first times I heard talk show host when when they introduced Leo is fucking awesome. That's a great song. That song that it's literally called uh Exit 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 Music for a Film. Exit yeah. Music wow, for a fuck. Film. Really it's in, powerful. Uh, okay, computer. Uh, yeah, all of album. his soundtrack stuff is amazing. Craig Armstrong does a lot of his scoring, and he has done for years. But uh, the score went multiple platinum choices, in Australia. This this I mean, that soundtrack again. is hey, we support awesome, our artists. Dude. Unbelievable, dude! It's Wait, just, are they the scientists? So David, powerful. Hmm? Are artists scientists? No, why? Oh, that we would we we would support them too in America. <laughs> I don't see why. Yeah, I guess I don't know. That's a big issue. Yeah. Thank <laughs> you. We need some buzzes, people. Come on. Yeah, I'm, I'm, like drinking, with, I'm drinking without the like buzzes. Uh, uh, no, I think man. we're saving those for last. Uh, this oh whole God, story fuck. takes place in two days, doesn't it? Yeah, I think it's two days. Yeah, again, two or three days. Yeah. Again, except the fact because everybody who sat there going, you know, Romeo and Juliet, they fell in love so hard that they had to kill each other when that wasn't working out in forty-eight hours. You know what? Remember when you haven't gotten a, laid? It though, could Jeff? use as, It could use as Remember zany. being a virgin? And you're yeah. like, if I don't. Have... And I said, if I don't have this in the next forty-eight hours, I'm killing myself. I can't fucking take it. Dude. Can you buzz this motherfucker for talking about my virginity on my podcast? You know, my family is one of my best fans of this thing. Yeah. Oh All right, Pete. Don't, don't worry this about is... Jesper's virginity. He's a horn dog. It's fine. Oh, come on, <laughs> guys. Get the fuck out of here. All right, so we are now winding this down. The movie has 
6.7. Oh my god. Those jokes really did this, this movie a disservice. It really did. I'm whatever. sorry. Yeah. It's the, it's it's Romeo and Juliet. It's it's a style it's stylistic. It's it's not if you go into it with a bad attitude, you're going to come out of it with a bad attitude, but there's some good shit in there. So give it a shot. Just, give it yeah, another rewatch. Again, it's this one of those available. Ones, just sit back and just let it wash over you. Turn yeah. it up, watch <laughs> yeah. it, enjoy it. So, Dave is going to use the random year generator. Oh, yes. And we're going to come up with the year of the films that we're going to be talking about next week. This is going to be Woo! fun. So excited. Next, be a good next one, please. Next week, we'll see what it comes out at. Jeff, when did you lose your virginity? Uh, that was in 2013. It was before then. It was before that. (laughs) 2013 is the year we are doing next week. All right. We are going to brew a little bit and we'll get back to you soon. Film fans, have a break, have a beer. That's it. We're back. back. <laughs> we have looked over some films of the film year 2013. That was fun. What a, what a fantastic year. Yeah. And we are going to announce mm-hmm. the three that we will be discussing at the end of this segment. But first, we have to get to our redemption film of the week, which is our Was It Really That Bad? Where we, a positive film criticism podcast who likes to drink beer, decide to take a look at a film that um, was not a critical success. Fucking strap yourselves in. And after we drank some beers, we decide to decide we decide to to talk about it. And the movie we chose for this year is really funny. So let, let's just put it in context here, right? So this is the Cable Guy, directed by Ben Stiller, produced by among others Judd Apatow, starring Jim Carrey, Matthew Broderick, and Leslie Mann. Leslie Mann met her husband. Judd Apatow, working on this film. And let's just put this in context. 1994, Jim Carrey had Ace Ventura, Pet Detective, The Mask, and Dumb and Dumber come out in the same year. We already knew who he was from In Living Color, but now he was a A-list star immediately because of this year. 1995 comes around. They have Ace Ventura 2 and another movie that I'm sure was great. And then in 1996... He decides to do a screwball comedy, co-starring Jack Black, directed by Ben Stiller, The Cable Guy. I believe I listened to an interview with Ben Stiller recently where they said, yeah, the critics didn't understand what we were trying to do with the film. (laughs) Nobody fucking understood what they were trying to do with the film. (laughs) It's a stalker movie. He's a cable guy. He's hired to install a cable for Matthew Broderick's. Um, <laughs> new apartment, and then um, so the plot is extremely complex. Yeah, and then Matthew Broderick, at his best friend Jack Black's request, tries to offer him fifty dollars for unlimited free cable, and Jim Carrey somehow interprets that as leverage to ask him to be his friend, and then starts stalking him and taking over his life. And yeah, Jim, it's a stalker movie. That that's what the movie is. Who wants to go first? Fuck this movie, dude. <laughs> Did you really hate it? Drink. Did you really hate it that much? I mean, it was bad. Like, I don't yes. want to see it again. But... I really okay. did, dude. Um, I really did. Okay. There are some moments that like, I laughed at. There are still a couple moments that I laughed yeah. at. But overall, 
it was just uh i felt like i was just watching one of those examples and i said fuck this movie i'm not just gonna pick on it but i felt like i was watching the idea of the movie gets introduced introduced to you very early and i don't think it ever transcends the idea of what it is it is simply a stalker movie there's no side stories that elevate it there's no way that the story of the stalker weaves in and out of something that creates higher stakes for any of the characters. Yeah. So it's just the same thing. Every scene is the same thing over and over and over again. And Dude, I, they, uh, I saw they, that Chris they introduced Farley, Matthew Broderick and set up his life and hopes and dreams, and then they forgot to make you care about any of it. When you saw this movie in the 90s, because I did, because I love Jim Carrey from the first two Ace Venturas, which were already out by this point, and Dumb and Dumber, Mask wasn't my thing, but everything else, great. Did you, is this the movie you realize, you know what, Matthew Broderick is not quite as cool as Ferris Bueller. Is this the movie you realize that? Yeah, for sure. I thought you were going to say something about Jim, though. It's too bad because, so he's the straight guy, obviously, and he's not bad, obviously. He's a good guy, although I did... Work in a restaurant once, and he was very unkind that his food was late. And it wasn't just kind of like, man, I'm in a hurry. It was like, he he was rude. He was fucking rude to our friend Elio. And so, Matthew Broderick, go fuck yourself for that rude. Mm-hmm. Take that, I know Broderick. celebrity. I know it's tough, man. Celebrities, you do one thing one time at a restaurant. People are going to talk about it for the rest of your life. No, but people don't forget. It's funny, though, people that you should bring don't that up. Because I, I feel like this would have actually been a better movie if they put Jack Black in Broderick's role. Because a hundred percent i'm leaning into my microphone a hundred percent yes roderick underplays his reaction to everything carrie does and it just makes it more sinister whereas i feel like it needs a bigger reaction to the ridiculousness that that is carrie i feel like that would have that might have actually saved the movie um to that point exactly i'm going to turn this to john the 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 self-proclaimed acting teacher as you talked about before i've taken his class john knows his stuff john i have a question we talked about fargo early in this movie and i I mentioned do we need to throw in shade alarm what there's no shade it was good class john's good john's good he gave me some notes death of a salesman scene um john we talked about Fargo a minute ago, and we talked. I, I mentioned William H Macy. His eyes the whole time were like concerned, like he was always he was unraveling the entire movie. So you, so film acting is 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 basically less is more is how you're taught, and then uh, they just sort of hope you can act after that. But it's basically like don't do anything. <laughs> do you think there's some days? Do you think there's some days Matthew Broderick showed up to set and went, "Where are we in the script right now? What's going on?" And they're like, "Just just be a little disappointed." And he went, "All right," and he just was like. Hmm. I'm a little disappointed. And they were like, perfect. Moving on. <laughs> like this is it's, I'm getting buzzed. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> no, I totally again. I know what you mean, dude. I feel like uh You're not wrong, so but I had was, to buzz it. <laughs> this was uh um, You're right. And again, this is I'm only being an asshole about to Matthew Broderick because again, Matthew Broderick, sometimes some restaurants make chicken soup from scratch. All right. Oh, it's not it ready go. to go. It's not ready. <laughs> he he orders it at the bar and I know you're in a hurry, but it's not the bartender's fault, bro. <laughs> Get oh off your He leaned God, dude, over the counter so and looked into the kitchen. Matthew. All right, sorry. Um John, what were you saying? So he made so Ben Stiller made reality bites before this, which is yeah. you know, reality bites is pretty good. Um this was his obviously this was kind of a stretch, right? This is a this is a weird thing to try to approach anyway, but I know what you mean. Like I couldn't help we are filmmakers, yes. But I don't just sit there and think about how the sausage is made every time I'm watching a film it, that, you know, unless it's not very good. And then you can't help but start thinking of the elements. and You're trying to figure out what's wrong here. Um, I completely agree with you, dude. I don't know if this was an assembly. 
issue, a coverage issue, a direction issue, or an acting issue, but I felt the call and response between what Jim chose to do with this character, Jim Carrey. It was wild. It was Matthew, zany and crazy. It was. But yeah. but, and Matthew Broderick, I felt like they were not in the same movie a lot of the times. And I, I was confused. And I don't even mean that. Sometimes I mean that big picture. Sometimes I mean just literally the takes they chose. I'm not sure if they lined up with the call and response with what Jim was right. doing and how he was taking it. I think that got in the way. I found out that Chris Farley was supposed to play Jim's role. Uh, I think that would have made this movie way better. I think if it was way less dark and way r- more ridiculous and zany, like if Chris Farley and Jack Black had been the leads in this movie, I think it would have been a different movie yeah. and probably more entertaining. Um, it just didn't go anywhere. Dave, like what you said earlier, like it's just what happens to Jim, you know from the moment you meet him. And it's not one of those, like I was kind of the thing I was saying last week about the witch, it's not one of those situations that's pulled off with a nuance and sophistication, which I know it's a comedy, but this can still be done in a comedy. It's not one of those situations where the audience knows before the protagonist knows. Like, you know, so obviously, and I think Broderick's character is supposed to know really early on that this guy's weird and he's got these attachment issues and he's coming at you, Mm -hmm. but it doesn't play out it doesn't play out in an enjoyable way at all. What was he watching? Jim Carrey is out of control. And and you know what? That's a choice. I don't know if it was the right choice, but he went for it. He has a director. He has a, he has a whole team of people. Judd Apatow knows comedy. He's got a lot of people around him that could have somehow kindly been like, look, this isn't working out. Let's just come together here. Matthew Broderick chose to do nothing. He saw Jim Carrey being zany, and he said, well, I'm a straight man, so I guess I'll do nothing. Even Leslie Mann gave us some context. Like, Actually, I'm buzzing you because, Jeff, you've picked your microphone up. I'm holding the mic. I'm leaned put, back in my put, chair now, so I'm holding it in my face. Put the microphone down, Jeff. Put the Dave's, microphone down. Dave's going to edit this together, and he's afraid that I'm going to be <laughs> so overloading this whole thing. Anyway, yeah, so so Jim Carrey, he's got a weird lisp. He's he's still in, like, sketch comedy world. Let's be real. Ace Ventura, he's a little, like, sketchy, the yeah. whole, sketch comedy the whole movie. But at least he opens that movie in a in a in mental institution. So he, it's sort of pre in the script. The Mask, he has two different characters, the straight character, and then the Mask character, he goes insane. And then Dumb and Dumber, he's just hanging on. You know what I mean? Like, he's barely sane. For the cable guy, he probably should have chosen the barely sane route. But again, he made the choice to go way over the top. He thought it was going to be a zanier comedy. But I agree with you, dude. I don't think it would have bothered me as much had they given more... Had they given more... We we are really trying to... We're trying to redeem this, folks. Had they given Broderick's character more circumstances so that you got to watch him lose his mind in, in a way other than just from the stalker, if his job had caused more insanity, if his relationship had caused more insanity, so that it finally gets to a place where they are two insane people. But I don't think it really got there. There's that yeah. one scene where he punches really got him. There. Never got a... Oh, yeah. yeah. So. It never even got close. Like, he punches him in that one scene where... They, I felt like that was... Again, I felt like that was a different movie. Like, that one scene where he was upset with them when his family's... Uh, they were having family game night kind of stood alone to me because I kept waiting to see that happen. I think that would have been okay with it, or at least more okay with it, had, I, had they given Broderick that opportunity... Because you feel like you were going insane with rage, but there is no outlet for it. 
Broderick doesn't do anything, yeah. so you don't feel like you have a place I mean, to to exercise from, it as an audience from member. A, I mean, this this film had odds stacked against it. From the, like, this is the like Lou Holtz Jr. wrote this film. It is the first and last film Lou Holtz Jr. ever wrote. I have a note about that. You know why? Because I looked on IMDb and I said, who is Lou Holtz Jr.? And there's nothing except trivia. Yeah. Son of Lou Holtz. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> His name is Lou Holtz Jr. And the only information about him is that he is the son of Lou Holtz. And it, it's, sorry, it's, sorry, Dave, it's almost like, I mean, I, I watched both of these films today, the, the Romeo and Juliet and this, and I put this on right in the back of Romeo and Juliet after, like, my wife got her copy of Romeo and Juliet out and was following along and like just involved in the whole process. And then I put this on straight after Romeo and Juliet and I swear my wife nearly left me. <laughs> I started this with my mother and my brother-in-law and they both got up and left. They were like, good luck, dude. We can't do this. Yeah. I mean, it, it's like, what can we, what was the thinking here? It's like, what can we do to make this character not identical to Ace Ventura? I know, we'll give him a fucking speech impediment. That's it just didn't yeah. work. You that know what else it. is sad, you guys? It, it, you know what else is sad is that I I think Ben Stiller probably could have told a more sincere. <laughs> that was Wait, a deep that was, Come on, can we call that out? That was in the middle of the <laughs> that was a, a deep, <laughs> in the middle of something sincere. I think Ben Stiller could have told a more sincere version of this that still had some dark comedic elements, but like yeah, the stalker I mean, story Stiller is has a place this, in though. movie. Well. All right, flesh that out. What, what do you mean? Dodgeball. Dodgeball. The original ending of the film Dodgeball ended with them losing everything. They didn't win. Ben Stiller's character won at the end of that film. And the studio and the test screenings went badly, so they made him go back and film the whole extra scene at the end with Chuck Norris, and the, they get another shot and, <laughs> like, that whole other thing. And then he, is, he takes a shot at them in the after credit scene. If you haven't watched Dodgeball through the credits, watch the fucking credits because there's a, there's a fantastic scene there where he, like, just bags the fuck out of Hollywood, and it's, it's kind of funny. But, yeah, he is notorious for making these films where it's just like, I'm going to take you to the fucking dark places, and I don't care. But I, but that's what I'm saying. Dave, I think if you, I, if you can dodge a wrench, been... you can dodge a ball. I love that movie. I think I was a bigger fan of that movie than Anchorman. They both came out the same year. Yeah, I love Dodgeball more. Dodgeball is um, one of my guilty pleasures. Yeah, I really love that movie. Rip Torn. Anyway, I I still think that I agree with you, and I, that's even more of a reason. I, I think he can pull it off. I think his his instincts are in that direction. So stop. Why did he try to make this funny? I almost felt like I was being called upon. Yes, Jim Carrey. Like, he wanted it to be funny. Look at the poster. It's Jim Carrey with, like, an electrical wire. Like, it looks like they, the Riddler. I mean, they even oh, that tra- was the movie in 19. How many times yeah. did you guys laugh? How many times did you guys laugh in this? I probably laughed three or four times. Zero. Uh, Zero I don't times. know if I laughed. I don't know. I mean, there were things that when were he funny, said, but I didn't laugh. When he laugh. says, when he's talking to her, when he goes to visit her for the first time, uh, Leslie Mann's character, and he says... You know, I asked someone to marry me one time as well. She's no longer with us. Don't ever go bungee jumping in Mexico. They don't have the regulations. <laughs> I mean, you can see like yeah. on paper, there are some funny lines written, but the tone of the whole thing was just a big swing and it a miss. Just, I feel like from like beginning the, to end, it's, it's a swing and a miss. It's one of the rules in like that kind of comedy. It's not supposed to hurt. And that, that shit hurt. Like it, he broke his own rules almost. And it's, I gotta say been, though, just to give a shout out to Ben Stiller, some of the things I laughed at, the only things I laughed at were his little cutaways of playing the twins. When he, his no, little, 
Draw court. Okay, true, sorry, true I stand TV corrected. Stuff. There was one thing I laughed at, and that was Eric Roberts playing the twins. That yeah, that was really funny. You were Bento always the funny one because, like, Eric Roberts cops so much <laughs> shit so in Hollywood. Say, say what you just, want about Tropic just, Thunder, but it, those cutaways to those the movies thing, are The funniest really part funny. about it is Eric Roberts is in on the joke. Like, yeah, he cops I mean, so much they flack, definitely he, know it. He definitely leans anytime, into it. Anytime Ben Stiller is like really upset, like I'm just gonna be laughing at it. So I, I enjoyed his stuff throughout. I was very interested in that. I don't know, you guys. Even all the way up through the ending, it's like. They exercised. We were already exhausted. We understood it. Okay, this guy is a stalker. And they chose to end the movie with him being like, you really think I'm your buddy? And he gives him that look and it's like, it's not over yet. It's like, dude, there is another. There is no sequel coming. (laughs) Fuck off. Why didn't it end with just a look? You didn't have to say it. It would have been really great if Jason Alexander played, um, played Matthew Broderick's role. That might have been fun, yeah. All right, so, so like, well, yeah, but why are you saying that? Because I think you're you're thinking what I'm thinking. Because, why are you because, saying that? Because I'm an because I'm an optimist, and I know Jim Carrey's hilarious and funny, and I know Ben Stiller had his own show with that Jed Apatow was a writer and producer on. That was not too long before this. And I think this is ben, well. Uh, ben no, Stiller's this was first, yeah. Like, that was the Ben Stiller show, and apparently every yeah. single fucking cast member of the Ben Stiller show appeared in this movie. Yeah, I mean Janine Garoppolo, um, Andy Dick, Andy Dick. Yeah, yeah. I don't see Judd though, but I guess because he's a producer, he's thought. But Jeff, I think I know you're saying that because Jason would have gone insane. He would have, he would have lost it, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And you're right, uh, McConaughey. Roderick does the opposite of that. He turns into a black hole. It's just like completely. (laughs) Yeah, sure. Also, there's a real lack of editing in a lot of scenes. I'm not sure what sort of a choice this was, but they don't much rely on camera movement to play this. Like they, they, they don't move much sorry then they rely on camera movement to play the scene out and it kind of makes weird. the scenes just dead yes it's weird that they chose to let jim go so nuts all right let me try to let me try to say this correctly it's weird with the cinematography that they they chose to be so stagnant while choosing a tone that was that was trying to be really grounded so like in Ace Ventura, in those early movies that he's in, when he's just improving like crazy, and there, there's some long takes, it's also kind of stagnant cinematography. But the tone of the movies, those early movies, works because there's so much momentum, and there's so mm. much positivity, and there's so much levity. But this movie doesn't have that tone. So to choose no. cinematography like that, it just felt, it felt like I was, I felt trapped, but not in an right. engaging, compelling. Oh, I'm getting something out of this way. I felt like I'm stuck here, and I kind of feel like. Somebody should tell them this isn't their best take, or they should do another edit. <laughs> you, know, you know what I mean? Like in a bad way, trap. They want it, or just do another one. Do it something different. I think they wanted this to be. <laughs> let's do it again. This time different. Um, they wanted it to be a dark yeah. comedy. Very do it clearly, again. Like, this time, wanted... don't suck. Yeah. Just do it. Just do it different. They, do it better. Just do it better this they time. They clearly wanted this to be a dark comedy, which has stakes, right? The, part of, the dark comedy is the hardest genre to pull off. Fargo, right? There, there are stakes, so it doesn't have to be scary necessarily, but there has to I, be something. I love that looming. Fargo is up against this. And I know. The no, same that, I'm so cause... glad you said no, that's yeah. perfect. That's that's, that's, that's fucking good. perfect, though. That's a good example. We laughed way more in Fargo, didn't we? Because there's an absurdity because the stakes are so fucking high. The stakes were never high right. in this ever. It never even got close. Also, also these lines are bad. I, I just I, I know you guys were. Looking, 
I know you guys were looking at me. What I was doing was I was looking for our quotes because I was like, let's see if we can do a, what are the best quotes of this movie list. And I just went oh, through good like, luck the finding list of one quotes. of them. Did you find like, any? Did you find any decent no, ones? I didn't find a single one that was even funny. My, wait, wait, wait. wait. Just... This is my favorite. I found my favorite one. It's Ben Stiller. It's the phone call recording that they play at his court. Oh, the, at the, at the oh my god! Yeah. Oh my god! My twin brother's been shot. I think it was an Asian gang or something. That's there was not this his guy. voice. Asian. That's not Ben Stiller. It's Jim Carrey doing Ben Stiller. Wait, really? Are you serious? Yes. Wow. That sounds like Ben Stiller. Damn. That good sounds, job. No, it's him. No, it's Jim. It's Jim Carrey doing Ben Stiller. Good job, that's Jim. So that's funny. that's in the IMDb trivia. I mean, Jim Carrey has a new book out. It's supposed to be really but great. That that also yeah. hints. That also hints at the fact that uh, Jim Carrey might have actually killed Ben Stiller's brother. Ah, interesting. That is that is the spot that I don't give a fuck about, dude. It's the one, (laughs) like if they'd telegraphed that, it might have added the one piece of interesting fucking shit in this movie. See, that's what I'm talking about, dude. That's what I'm talking about. There was no outside thing. The whole time we're watching the Ben Stiller things, and it was just, it ended up just being a, a comedy spoof. And then at the end... Jim Carrey cuts the cable on the town when they're revealing the verdict. Yeah, which I guess is kind of funny. But if it was and the Jim guy Carrey, from Tenacious D picks the whole time. the guy from Tenacious D picks up a book and goes, "Ah, oh, this is much better." It's like, yeah, we get the message, dude. Way to fucking telegraph the point. Mm. It, was, it was too bad. It was too bad. Anyway, we, we which, which that's kind of what real fast, real fast bad. though. I I feel like that's kind of what Ben was trying to do, which is why it just sometimes art just doesn't work. You guys, you look at a painting and you, it works or it doesn't work. The Hans Zimmer masterclass, he was talking about like, I, sometimes I have some composer friends that I have and I call them into my office and I say, is this shit or is it not shit? Like, just, just tell me straight up. We can't, I can't change one thing to make it good. It's either good or it's not. What you just said, to broadcast it, I kind of feel like Ben Stiller was trying to satirize and use the idea of television and broadcasting and try to kind of put an absurd spin on it to try to kind of, I, I'm afraid that he intended to make this movie. That's what I'm saying, is that he, he literally tried to do exactly this to try to make a point, and it just didn't yeah. fucking work. Yeah. It just didn't work. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, Am I, I being too I harsh? Watched, I mean, Am I being no, too No, you're not, because I mean, I, I watched this on IMDb TV uh, with ads, and they might have been the best part of it. <laughs> Every time there was an ad, I was like, I, have to, I, bad, I don't know if I can finish this. I don't know if I can they finish were like this movie. Singing like depressing songs. Okay, I'm, I'm sorry, but also, though. also, I, I like, I love to. While I'm doing this, I go through the IMDb trivia because it's fun. It's a great resource, and there's a piece of trivia that says the novelization strongly implies. Who the fuck is buying the novelization of this? <laughs> I bet it read better. I bet it read better than is it anybody watched, that fucking bored on a plane. <laughs> So I'm telling you, though, like it's I mean, one of those things that could have played out differently. I bet the novel is more sincere. Anyway, anyway, that's I man. I, I'm sorry. I, miss, I don't want to hate. I don't like hating on it. I like Ben Stiller. I like Ben Stiller's movies. I, I usually laugh a lot at a lot of them. Yeah. Or even his more her... edgy kind of indie ones. But this one just man, it drove yeah. me insane when I was a kid. It drove me insane again. It just God, it was annoying. I mean, yeah. the upshot of this is like d- get find this movie, download it onto your device, and when your power goes out one day, still don't watch it. Mm. never ever 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 watch this movie oh my god i'm so sorry ben i'm so sorry if you're listening (laughs) but jesus dude you've been you've 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 done better jeff what did he say jeff what did he say in the interview how recently was this interview where he was like i don't think it was uh it was when he did escape from 
uh Glockamora. What's it called? Escape from Escape from Doahara. Whatever the New York prison one with Paul Dano is. It was like 2018, 2019. He did um a Hollywood he did a um the Hollywood Reporter podcast. Escape from Donamora Donamora. Don Namara Dominara. I didn't know that. Yeah, I don't Escape think I knew Don about that. What? It was like Antonio Banderas, Paul Dano, um, Patricia Clarkson. Fuck yeah. Anyway, oh, it was that. not the cable guy was not um Ben Stiller's first movie. Reality Bites was his first feature film. He right. did Ben Stiller's show. He, he's directed segments for Saturday Night Live and shit. Anyway, he he learned some lessons before Tropic Thunder, which Tropic Thunder did well. I mean, Tropic Thunder is hilarious. There is blackface, so you know. Maybe don't see it. Don't but mention it's really that. Funny. And, and no one's mentioned that. How has that not been mentioned yet? Because it's, it works. It's, it works. It works. <laughs> I mean, come on. You give me a break. It worked. I mean, I, I get Robert it. Jr. was nominated for an Oscar 12 years I mean, ago I, for it. But I mean, no, it's satirizing I, the fact that that was a thing. I, you know, I guess that's how it yeah. works. It was satirizing the fact no, that I mean, it, it also works because there is an actual black guy in the cast calling me out for it the whole fucking time. I guess that might be why it works. What do you mean, you people? I'm saying, what do you I feel mean, like, you I feel people? Like, yeah. I think, I think w- w- whether Ben Stiller will like admit it was, it, it was or a not. statement of whitewashing Hollywood. It was like, it was brilliant. Yeah, yeah. I, I think so. I think that's right. I respect Ben Stiller about? enormously because I think he, I think it's obvious from the movies that followed this. I think he learned from this. So I don't know what he said in that interview. I, I totally respect that this meant something to him and he had a personal experience with this. But I think he learned from this because he yeah, has this... only gone up from here in my opinion i mean this was a swing yeah. and a miss but the pullback after this he really like from that point he on brought he was, it dude I, yeah. I like his movies a lot i love some of them i mean i just man i hate this yeah. movie. <laughs> all right guys so next week last buzz for john let's bring this home all everybody right. go see escape from donna mora which i think is showtime um yeah go ahead and Subscribe to our podcast. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. All the handles the handle, are in baby. our episode notes. We are way too drunk to say them out loud, and you're also not on your phone about to type them. So go to the episode At the Love notes of Cinema Pod. At the Love of That's Cinema right. Pod. Give us a follow. God damn it. At the Love of Cinema Pod. And also, and... We, we have a Facebook page. Talk to us. We'll answer. Yeah, we will answer. Guys, yeah, guess we what? Will actually We're available. Yeah. We, we... I'm so lonely. We enough... <laughs> We're so lonely. <laughs> you're such a super lady. I'm so lonely. Film year 2013 coming up next. Film year yes. 2013 coming up next. You may know this as 12 Years a Slave versus Gravity at the Oscars for Oscar fans. We are going to take a look at three fantastic films. We'll probably start with The Wolf of Wall Street, another Leonardo DiCaprio film, Martin Scorsese. Give it another rewatch. A lot of people at the time when it came out thought that it was glorifying 80s and people ripping off other people and, and it was masturbatory or whatever. So we're going to give it another look. Yeah. Then we're going to go into a little a softer film, if you will. We're going to go with Joaquin Phoenix in Her, a little Spike mm. Jones Oscar-winning film. Amazing and then film. Amazing a redemption film. film. Shouted out by our friend Dave Green here. I, I went to odd, bed for this. Odd Hell Thomas. Yeah. Odd Thomas has a 39% on Rotten on Rotten Tomatoes. It is Anton Yelkin, R.I.P. fucking Anton Yelkin, and Willem Dafoe. And we're going to give it a rewatch. And a Dean Koontz adaptation. I'm excited. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Dave read the books. Okay. So, so excited to see you next week. Thanks for listening. Tell your friends to find us on the socials. That's it. <laughs>